chapter comes from Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And we're going to read this in the ESV. We encourage you to find uh, a Bible. There's Bibles under your, your chairs if you want to use those, or if you have your own Bible or Bible app, you can read along there. Uh, we're going to be reading this in the ESV. Um, again, it's Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through chapter 8, verse 1. Now, I know you guys are, are looking that up right now, but um, what, once you have found the scripture, we, we ask that uh, everyone who's here in person, I mean, obviously, you can do this at home if you want as well, but if you can please stand as able for the reading of God's word, and I'll read the scripture for us. So please stand as able. Again, it's Romans chapter 7, verses 14, verses chapter 8, verse 1. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I, de- for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series called Life Period. This is uh, the third week, I believe, and... Yeah, we've been talking about how does our faith intersect with our actual lives. Because faith is not just meant to be something you read about, right? You're not just meant to read the Bible and understand it intellectually, right? Or or just kind of like know this knowledge, but it is meant to help us in life. And so that's what we've been talking about today. And so I think there is a fundamental question. It is probably one of the most important spiritual questions of our age. And it is this. Do we need God? Do we need God? There used to be a time where our world was centered around the church, right? If you think about like medieval times, I just recently read a a, a biography on Martin Luther, who is the great uh, 16th century reformer, and uh, just talking about the way the world was back then. And like you really didn't have a choice to go to church back then, right? Like, church controlled so much of society and life, and everybody was a Christian. I mean, it just was expected if you lived in certain places, like in Europe or wherever, right? It it just wasn't an option, and it was just a part of your everyday vocabulary. But, you know, there's been many changes, and a, a lot of them have been for the good, but we live in an age where that is no longer the case. Our lives do not revolve around the church anymore, right? They don't revolve around faith. And there are many things that we now do that sometimes we used to uh, attribute it to God or we used to depend upon that in the context of a church or, or, you know, a Christian community. 
that no longer are the case anymore, right? And so there are many people, like obviously there are people who are completely not religious, right? There are people who, you know, may, may actually not believe in God or have a different religion or whatever. And so the question is, in this modern age, why do you need God? For a lot of us, this is where we have come as, as a people, right? The, 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 we, we've come to this place where we increasingly have become more independent, right? And we have so many things at our fingertips. And I mean, you guys know this with COVID. I mean, there are even things that we used to only be able to do in person that now you can do it digitally, right? You can do it over the internet. You can do church over the internet. We had to do church over the internet for a while, you know? And it's like, literally, you don't even need to leave your room to go to church. You could get like a great sermon, you know? You could listen to a world-class praise band, you know? In the, from the comfort of your own bed. Why do we need God? Why do we need something where, when we have a world where so many things are provided for us? And maybe with church, it's like, it's one of these kind of like nice twos when I have time. But I know for a lot of us, like in this world, um, there's a lot of things that are just, you know, church sometimes can seem like an inconvenience coming in person. You know, taking up this time that we could be using to sleep or do other things, right? And so, friends, yeah, I, I, I really, really want to take this question seriously. You know, is it just something that we have to, like, you know, as a preacher, as a church, you know, that, like, like people have to kind of scare you into coming to church, like, no, you got to come, or just kind of, like, force you to come, or maybe your parents do, or whatever, but you, you get, you know, there, I know there's a lot of young people here, but most of you, or you're going to be coming to this very soon, where you have your own choices, right? And I, I got to tell you, one of the most vibrant times of faith is actually college. And one of the times when most people tend to kind of like, I'm going to use the word fall away from church, but it's really more of a drifting. It's after college. So our shout out to our post-grad people and to people who start having families, right? And it's not because people are, are like, I stopped believing in God, usually. I mean, sometimes that happens, don't get me wrong. But oftentimes it's just, I have more important things to do right? Just church and God is not as important as my family or taking my kid to a soccer game or, you know, paying the mortgage or getting a couple extra hours of sleep when I've been exhausted from a really grueling work week, right? And so again, the question, why do you need God? Because a lot of us, we operate from this myth, and I'm going to call it a myth. There's a reason why I have A.D. Bryant here saying, I got this, and she's got a crown on her head, and she's like, right? Um, obviously, I just got this from the internet. I don't know this person, but, you know, she's saying, I got this, and this is the myth of the modern life. We don't need God because we essentially are our own gods. We can provide everything that we need, right? We can operate our lives just fine, thank you very much, without church and without God. That's the myth that we have, and I want to question that. I want to challenge that. Do we really got this? Can we really live this life without God. And I'm, by the way, not just talking to people who, you know, and maybe there's some of you who aren't that familiar with church or not that familiar with God. And you're here because you want to explore. That is awesome. But maybe there's some of you who grew up in church. I'm also talking to you guys, right? I'm definitely someone who grew up in church. And let me tell you, I have learned throughout my life, I really do need God. And I need God every day. 
when I was younger, I used to think that, like, really, I would just pray when I was in trouble. I had, like, a big test and I didn't study. I'm like, oh, God, I got, like, so religious, right? Right before a big test. But oftentimes, when there weren't, like, obvious struggles or problems, everyone's healthy, you know, the, the next test is a couple months down, down the road. I'm like, what God, right? Like, I mean, that's, that's how I live my life functionally. And I know that's the way it is for many of us. But the older I get and the more in tune I get with my own heart, my own emotions, there's been things that have been revealed to me. Man, I need God way more than I think I do. I am not as strong as I think I am. I'm going to be sharing more about that. But I want to get into the scripture because it talks about that. This is the question. Friends, I want you to hold that question in your minds. Do you really need God? And, and so, you know, we're, we're going to be uh, definitely going into Scripture, but it's going to be really interesting because you're going to see an overlap. I mean, this is Paul writing from the first century, right? Like 2,000 years ago. And he's going to be talking about stuff that we are just now discovering in neuroscience. I'm not making this up. I'm going to try to prove to you that we do need God. And we are not as independent. We are not as free as we think we are in this way where we think we can just, you know, self-direct our lives however we want. That we have the power to live a good life completely on our own. And so let's take a look at, this is Romans 7. And and we just read this a moment ago, verse 14 through 15. And as we go through this, I'm going to try to explain some of the terms to you because I admit that sometimes when we read this, it doesn't make sense because you are reading scripture from some assumptions that you have heard before. So for instance, you're going to hear words like sin, and you're going to hear flesh and spirit. And you're going to be thinking about certain things. Sin, usually when we hear the word sin, we think bad, right? Like you did something really bad, right? And we're going to talk about that. It's not quite that. It's something a little bit different. When, when you hear the word flesh, you're going to think about your body, right? And it is that. But there's something a little subtly different. When we're talking about spirit, you, you think about like the Bugs Bunny cartoons when, you know, the coyote falls to the ground and then he dies and then his spirit goes, like, like comes up like a ghost from his body. That's Plato. That's not, the, the, that's not Christianity or, you know, that's not, it's not the same kind of vocabulary when we talk about spirit. We are talking about something slightly different. So we're going to explain that. So let's dive in. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. So right there, you get all three terms that we just talked about. Spirit, flesh, and sin. Okay, so friends, this is talking about the human condition that we have. When we are talking about sin, it means to miss the mark. Right? In, in Greek, it is a, an archery term. It's called harmatia. And so like, if you're trying to hit the, the mark in archery... I don't know if some of you guys have been watching archery like at the Olympics and stuff. Man, some of those people are fantastic. I don't know about you, but those people are rare. When I go to, go to the, the, you know, archery thing, I remember like after Hunger Games came out, everyone wanted to do archery. And so I went to an archery range like, I'm going to be like Katniss. And, you know, and I'm like missing everything. I mean, I don't think I hit a single target. That is the idea of sin, is that we have this natural tendency to not hit the target. And the target is... In this context, it says the law, but what it's talking about the law is it is the will of God. It is the the things of God, right? So God has this kind of plan 
or he has this expectation of the way that he would want things to be ideally, right? And so you see it all throughout Scripture. I don't think I'm telling you guys anything that you don't know, but this, this kind of fellowship and union between us and God and us and other people, to love God with your whole heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. If we were able to do that perfectly, we would not be sinning, right? We would be living the law perfectly. But we don't do that. We're selfish. We have this tendency to look out for number one, to not love our neighbors as ourselves. We love ourselves way more. We look out for ourselves way more. And many of us don't even love ourselves, right? And so we are living this life where it's like the archer and, and you know, the arrows are going everywhere. They're not going where God wants them to go. And that's the idea of sin, right? So it is not meant to be this idea that like, oh, you're a sinner. You guys hear that? That condemnation, that kind of expectation that there's something really, really wrong and flawed with you. Well, there is something really wrong and flawed with you, but there's something wrong and really flawed with all of us. There's not a single person who's not under sin. But the way that we talk about it oftentimes, it's kind of like, I don't know, have you guys ever seen Princess and the Frog? Um, I'm, I'm, this is a deep cut, deep Disney cut. But there's a character who's like a southern belle, and um, I'm terrible at accents, but she says something in the, the movie that she was like, uh, she's like wearing like this nice like cotillion dress, you know, like going to like a, a ball or something. And she's like, woo, I'm sweating more than a sinner in church. That's my southern accent. It's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I'm sweating more than a sinner in church. What does that say? That says that sinners shouldn't be in church. And if you were in church, you had something to hide. There's something wrong with you that is especially repellent, right? Like, oh my gosh, they're going to know. They're going to know that I sinned. Friends, we're all sinners. Your pastor's a sinner. I'm a sinner. Did you know that? Because I'm not able to love my neighbor perfectly all the time. I have these tendencies. You know, it's not just the fact that you you do things that are wrong or that you're not able to hit the mark of what God wants from you or what, 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 what would be the perfect life, but it's also that you have a tendency to not want the things of God. You're going to see this show up in this passage so many times, okay? So that's sin, right? And then when it talks about spirit and flesh, these are going to be terms that Paul uses. And it's actually something uh, particular to Paul. Paul likes this terminology. The spirit is, is a common thing, but flesh, that's a little bit different. There are Greek words for the body. It's soma, but this is sarx. It is flesh. He's saying that there is something about us as human beings that's a little bit different than the spirit. The spirit is trying to get you to do certain things. Spirit is of God, right? And, and we have this spirit that is trying to lead us into holiness, trying to lead us into the things that God wants. But then you have the flesh. There's something within you. And we're not just talking about the physical body, but there's a part of you that wants something else. What does it want? It wants to sin. Now, again, sin, it doesn't just mean like killing people and doing bad things. I mean, it's definitely that. But it's more, it wants to rebel. It wants to do something contrary to the spirit. Okay? So, let's continue. It says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So now we're starting to see the human condition. This is all humans. Whether you're a Christian or not, we all have this problem. 
where there's a part of you that wants to do one thing, and then there's a other part of you that wants to do a different thing, right? Do you guys get that? Are you ever, like, kind of confused by yourself? Like, I don't understand why I'm doing this thing that I know is bad for me, right? Have you ever been in that position? If you have, then you know exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. It says, now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good, right? So there is this, ex- there is this, this thing that we know we're not doing what is exactly right, that there is a perfect law, that there is an expectation of the way that we're supposed to be, if we could live our lives perfectly, it would be good. It's not just that you wouldn't get punished, but it would be the best possible life. Who among us doesn't think that if we loved our neighbors as ourselves, that we wouldn't have a better world? Right? I mean, seriously, think about all of the strife, all of the messed up stuff you see, all of the the polarization, all of the hatred, all of the injustice you see in this world. That would go away overnight if we were all able to live this. And seriously, right? Like those times when people are like at each other and they're rioting or they're hurting one another and somebody gets up. I remember Rodney King very famously got up. He was the guy who was beaten um, in LA by the police. And this was in the early 90s. And people went nuts because the, the police officers that beat this guy and it was on tape. Now this, that, this happens all the time. This is one of the first times where people saw this incredible police brutality, and just everyone lost their minds. They started burning down L.A. And, and, you know, Rodney King got on the news, and he was like, please, can we all just get along? Who would disagree with that? Who would be like, no, Rodney King, I want to kill and murder people. But it's not that easy. There is something wrong with the human condition. There is something within us that... There's good that we know we should do, but we are not able to do it. You see that? Right? So it says, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So here, Paul is talking about this idea. There's the good that I know that I should be doing, but then there's the actions that I actually do. And so often, I'm not able to do the good that I know I should do, but I end up doing something else. Why is this? It's so interesting, because in neuroscience, we are learning things all the time about how the brain works. And one of the things that Paul often, when we talk about this passage, We talk about the old man and the new man, the man of flesh, the person of flesh, um, and the person of spirit, the person who's led by flesh, the person who's led by spirit, right? Old man, old human, new human. It's very interesting because in neuroscience, they have a way of talking about the brain. They have old brain and new brain. You guys hear about this? And so there's this idea that the most basic part of your brain is the part that is all about survival, right? It's ruled by... Basically, it's designed to get you to survive, and it is completely obsessed with four things. They call it the four Fs. It's fighting, fleeing, feeding, and reproducing. I'm not going to say, you guys, four four Fs. Okay, you guys awake? (laughs) Four Fs. (laughs) Fight, flight, feeding, and reproducing. 
Some of you still don't get it. Okay, that's okay. That's okay. We'll move on. You guys are pure of heart. That's great. Um, so, the, the, right? There's these things that we naturally do, and it's, it's just instinct, right? You are going to naturally want to do these things, right? But then there's the newer brain that it, it's associated with, with what we call the limbic system. And so is this other part of your brain where we are able to do things like have empathy, have compassion, right? To sacrifice for other people, to think about the greater good. These kinds of things, they think, developed differently. And these two things can be at odds. How can they be at odds? Well, for one, I mean, there are ways in which we know that as human beings, we have the ability to care about other people. Whether you're Christian or not, I mean, you definitely have that ability, right? So let me give you an example. So let's say you're walking in the woods, and um, there, there's like a kid that fell down a well. Why is there a well? I don't know. This is just the example. <laughs> but there's a kid in a well, and they're yelling, help me! Help me! Now, who among us would be like, well, I've got to get to class, right? I mean, most of us would stop, right? Most of us would be like, oh my gosh, there's a kid in the well. Right? And if you didn't stop, many of us would be like, dude, what's wrong with you? You're some kind of sociopath, right? Now, what if I changed this situation? What if I changed this situation and actually, it's not the kid in a well, but there's a bunch of like ravenous, rabid wolves. Now do you help? Help me! Help me! Maybe some of you do, but now you're going to pause. There's going to be two different impulses, right? One is going to be to help the kid. Oh my gosh, this kid's going to get eaten by wolves. And there's another impulse. I'm going to get eaten right? This is dangerous. What if there was somebody who was holding the kid up by gunpoint? Would that make a difference? Or what about this? What if you actually were running late for class? Would you help? You guys ever hear of the parable of the Good Samaritan? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's, it's this story where somebody's bleeding on the side of the road and he needs help, and a lot of religious people ignore this person, and they keep going. And actually, if you look at where this was, this road, it was a very, very dangerous road. Someone showed me. Someone like took a trip um, to Palestine and to that area and showed the area, what, the road that Jesus would have been talking about. And that road, it's extremely narrow. There's like, like, a, like a, a, a cliff face, and then there's an open cliff, and it's super narrow. And there were all these crags where robbers could be hiding. Bandits would hide, and they would attack you. And so if you're going through this road, you know what you would be doing, what you would be thinking? You'd be thinking, I got to get to my destination. I got to get to my destination. I got to get to my destination. And I don't want to get killed. I don't want to get robbed. That's all you would be thinking about. And so if you saw someone on the side of the road in that situation, would you help them? If there was no danger, I think you would. Right? Who wouldn't help? What kind of monster would keep going? But if you're in the real world where you're worried about your own safety, you may not help. They actually did this thing where um, they took Princeton seminary students. So these are people who are training to be pastors. And they, they did a thing where they literally, <laughs> it's so messed up that these, these like psychological experiments that they do. But they had them, they're like, okay, we want to give you, a, a, like you're going to give a talk on the Good Samaritan. So they're reading about the Good Samaritan, the story I just told you. And then they're like, okay, um, now you got to go give this talk, and you got to go to this hall, and it's across campus, right? 
And so they knew that when they went across campus, there was going to be this archway that you had to go through at Princeton. And in that archway would be a man who's lying on the floor pretending to be like, like really sick or in trouble, like, oh, 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 right? Like, it's, it's a setup. It's just a study, right? But they wanted to see if the students would actually stop and help. And literally, they just read the Good Samaritan, right? They have the biblical knowledge. They're going to be pastors. They know they should help. And, you know, there's one thing that made the biggest difference in whether or not they help. It was something like 70% difference that almost overwhelmingly people would help or not help based on one thing. You know what it was? It was whether or not the professor said one thing. And the professor would say to one group of people, you're late. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the, look at the time. They've been waiting for you for 10 minutes. You better hurry. Right? Or if they would be like, hey, you got plenty of time. Take your time. Right? You're actually a few minutes early, but, but you know, why don't you make your way over there? It's the only thing. So one group was under stress, and one group wasn't. Stress, the funny thing about it is it triggers the same part of your old brain, that same part that feels like you're in danger, that feels like there's a wolf coming or some kind of attacker, right? And you start functioning differently. Now there's a war and there's a battle, and oftentimes you will do the thing that you know you probably shouldn't do. Oh my gosh, that person needs help. That person needs help. But I'm late. I've got to go. Right? Friends, this is what we're talking about. There is this war within you. Right? Now, who isn't under stress? I know for those of you guys who are in school, right, or just for anyone of us in life, we live in a world where we are constantly stressed. You know what's happening? Your old brain is working in overtime. And there are many things that you think you should be doing. As a Christian, as a person of God, you're like, I should help people. I should be more compassionate, right? I should connect more to God. And you ain't able to do it. And it's because you are warring with your flesh. You have a natural tendency to do this other thing. Does that make sense, friends? That is the human condition all of us are in. So... Um, Friends, we have this myth of willpower, right? We have this myth that if I just were a strong enough person in my mind, I could get myself to do these things that I do not want to do, but I can make myself do it. Sometimes you can do it, right? You guys ever like, need to study for a test or something, and you are so stressed, you are so wrung out, that you're like, dude, I totally should do this. Or maybe it's something else, like, like you know you should work out, something good for your body. But you're just so stressed out that you're like, dude, I, I just, before you know it, you're on your phone, right? Or you're taking a nap, or you're eating a pint of ice cream, right? The four Fs have kicked in, and you're doing those things, not because you want to, but because you kind of have to. Does that make sense, right? So if we want to win this battle, the question is not, how do we get more willpower, right? The question is not, uh, you, you know, just to tell people, hey, just try harder. The problem is, is that you are not being led by the Spirit. You're being led by your flesh. And the flesh, it needs to die. That's, that's what God is talking about here. That, that, or that's what Paul is talking about here. Right? And we are going to find out how we can do that. But I want assure, to assure you, everybody has this problem. Your pastor has this problem. The Apostle Paul, who's like one of the greatest followers of Christ, as far as we know, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, 
He's talking about himself. I know there's good that I should do as the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine? Right? But I'm not able to do it. So friends, you're sitting there and I don't know how old you guys are. 20, 25, 30? You know, even if you're like me in my 40s and you, you think that, that, that you're supposed to be at the point where you can control your will perfectly. Oh, I'm going to follow God exactly. I'm going to do exactly what I'm supposed to. I'm going to love people, and I'm going to forgive people, and I'm going to be this perfect person. You can't do it. This is a myth, this idea that, oh, just try harder. It's not going to work, right? Something literally needs to die in order that something else needs to live. And so, yeah, another example of the myth of willpower. You hear it all the time. Nike, just do it. Just do it. Ah, you're procrastinating, you're having this hard time, just do it. You can do that every once in a while, but consistently, we are not able to overcome this, right? But, friends, I I hope you are starting to see a little bit that we can understand a little bit what's going on, and there are solutions to it. So Paul continues to talk about this idea, so I find it to be a law, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Right? I want to do what is right. It's not that Paul looks at that stuff that he's doing that is sub-ideal, that, that is sin, and he's like, I want to do that. He's like, I literally can't do it. But I know that there is a good that I want to do. Right? But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. So what do we do, friend? What do we do about this situation? Do you just try harder? Do you just read more Bible? Things like I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I want to show you what Paul does. You know what Paul does? It's interesting. He says, wretched man that I am. You know what Paul does? He throws up his hands. He's like, I can't do it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Right? Paul is literally saying, I cannot win this war. I cannot overcome the flesh. And so he's throwing up his hands and he's reaching out to God. He's reaching out to Jesus and he's saying, I can't do it, so you're going to have to do it. He's saying, who will deliver me? Another way to put that is, who will save me? I don't like to use the, the S word here, save, because we often think of it just in terms of your eternal salvation. It can be that. But have you ever seen someone who's like, like, you know, they have a problem, they have an issue, like maybe an alcoholic, and they can't stop drinking? I think it would be appropriate for that person to be like, save me, somebody save me. We're not talking about their eternal soul in this context. We're talking about save them from what they cannot themselves do. They can't stop the drinking. They can't choose sobriety. They can't do it on their own. And for all of us in this life, friends, I know there are so many of us that walk around and we walk under this myth. We're we're not turning to God because we believe we're supposed to do it on our own. Oh, just do it. Just try harder. Just be more spiritual. If I were a better Christian, if I weren't such a sinner, then I wouldn't be able to do this. It's a myth, friends. You're not going to win the war. Paul knew that. And so what Paul did is he literally threw up his hands and said, I can't do it. I'm wretched. Somebody save me. That's where faith comes in. 
That's where Jesus comes in. That's where all spiritual gold begins. Is at the moment when you end and you literally throw up your hands and you say, I'm not good enough to save myself. I'm going to need help. I'm going to need someone to save me, deliver me, right? And friends, I'm telling you, there are so many times where I've come to that moment. I shared a, a few weeks ago that when I was in seminary, I had a drinking problem. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not just saying this to prove a point. I really did have a drinking problem. And it wasn't the kind of drinking where I drank with other people socially because I was this good Christian boy who felt like people would judge me if I did that, so I drank by myself in my room, and I carried that habit into seminary. And I did that as a youth pastor. And there were so many times I was stressed. Friends, remember the, the four Fs, right? So for me, I would flee. I would flee from that feeling of stress into the bottle, into drinking, into this, this state of just non-feeling and non-thinking. And I would feel so guilty. There are so many times where I would sit there, and there were some nights where I'd be sitting in the parking lot of my seminary with a bottle looking at me being like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I'd be crying. And it's exactly what we're talking about here. I know there are things that I should do, but I can't do it. And that which I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And friends, there was a night where literally, I mean, the only reason why I got help is because my life was falling apart. And I'm not saying it has to get to this point, but it did for me. That I was failing out of, uh, out of seminary, um, I had a teacher who called me out on it. He's like, Steve, what's going on? You haven't been to class in forever, right? And I'm like, I, I, I can't keep doing this. So I, I, I had to do something about it. I literally went to church that night. I shared this a few weeks back. So I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I literally was like, Jesus, do you love me? I'm so messed up. And the word was yes. Yes, I do love you. And one of the things that happened is I had to start reaching out and saying, I need help. The funny thing is, for months before that, I had a, 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 um, a good friend, my roommate, would invite me to this group of guys. It was this Christian discipleship accountability group. And he was like, hey, Steve, you want to come to this group? I think it would be really good for you. I'm like, what do you guys do? I'm like, oh, well, we just talk about life. We, we talk about our sins. We talk about our flaws. We talk about our brokenness. And we just share that with each other. And we pray for each other. He's like, and I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to tell you that I've been drinking and do all these things? I'm hiding it, right? I'm trying to hide it. I don't want people to know my business. And the thing is, is that he told me um, months later, he was like, like when I finally confessed to him all the stuff that I was doing, I'm like, yeah, you know, I've been doing this and I have this drinking problem. He's like, Steve, I know. It's like, we're roommates, man. I can smell it, <laughs> you know? But I thought it was being so like, secretive. And he was inviting me to this group because he knew it would be good for me. And the moment that I finally put my hands up to heaven and said, somebody save me, somebody deliver me, that was the moment when help started coming. And so, you know, my friend invited me to the group again, and I decided to go. And I went to this group, and there's all these people sharing, like, like the, the, the kinds of sins and the problems that they were having. And, you know, it's this weird thing, right? That one of the things that it says in scripture is there is therefore 
now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right after it says, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's the one who saves us. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That's not the way it's supposed to be forever, but Paul knows the human condition. There's no one that can, uh, that, that can escape this. There's no one who's so good that they're able to perfectly follow the law of God. There's, all of us are going to be in that struggle. Therefore, there's no condemnation. We're all messed up. We all have this problem. And the only one who can save us is Jesus. So why are we condemning people? Why are we treating people like there's something wrong with them? When all of us have this problem, no matter what it is, maybe it's not alcohol for you, but we all have this issue. No one else in my group that I shared with had, had an alcohol problem. They had other issues, and they would share those. And one of, like, like there's a couple brothers that I was just sharing about my struggle, and I was sharing about my struggle at night. I had this thing. So I lived in Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C., they stopped selling alcohol at 1030. But in Virginia, which was only 15 minutes away from me, um, that they stopped selling uh, alcohol at midnight. So my body would literally get itchy around 11.40. I just, like, if I don't go now, I'm not going to have a drink for the rest of the night. And I'm going to have to do this sober. And so 11.40, I'd just be like, oh my gosh, i got to drink. And I told my friends that. And they were like, Steve, next time you feel like drinking, can you call one of us? And I didn't want to do it, but one night, I was like, man, I had, like, such a tough day. I was like, man, I don't want to do this, but i, I got to get something to drink. So I get in my car. I'm driving to Virginia. And on my way, I'm like, you know what? Why don't I just call this guy? Why not? Let me just call him. So I called him, and I get on the phone. He picks up the phone, and he's like, what's up, Steve? And I'm like, hey, David, how's it going? He's like, you're driving to Virginia, aren't you? Because he can look at the clock. It's like 1145. I'm like, yeah. And I'm like expecting him to bust my chops or give me a hard time or even yell at me. But he's like, hey, what's going on, man? I'm like, I don't know. It's just been a really tough day. And it's just been really stressful and all this stuff. And as I'm talking, I pull into a parking lot, turn around, and go back home. Somebody save me. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Friends, we have resources. We have things available to us. And I want a church, our church, to be a place where sinners don't come and sweat in church and be like, I hope no one finds me out. But I want it to be a place like that, where we can honestly share with each other. We can pray for each other. We can help each other to do this thing that it's not always natural. Overcoming the flesh, it's not natural. But we can do it with the help of Jesus. I just want to end uh, real quick. I want to show you just, uh, we probably don't have time to read them all, but I want to point out, this is a part of our Christian tradition. You cannot save yourself. Look at Matthew 6. Uh, this is in the Lord's Prayer. This is part of it. You know, a lot of you guys pray this all the time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You need outside help. You can't do it on your own, right? One of the, the, the most powerful uh, tools for combating alcoholism in particular. This message isn't about alcoholism, but that is a good example of something where it has power over people. People can't do it on their own. And one of the most powerful tools has been the 12-step program. Did you know it has Christian roots? I want to read for you, actually, the original 12 steps. It's been adapted to make it less religious sounding, 
But this is the original 12 steps. And I replaced, the only words I replaced was I replaced alcoholics and um, alcoholism with sin and sinners. That's it, right? Otherwise, it's exactly the same as they originally wrote it. They said, admitted we were powerless over sin, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the first step. To admit you are powerless. You don't have the power. You, You can't do this by your own willpower, by your own goodness. You're powerless. And admitting that is the absolute first step. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You need to be saved, right? Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care and direction of God as we understood him. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. This is one of the things that I found. I found this in prayer, friends. And so, you know, this isn't just sharing about like going into a 12-step program or sharing in a small group. I hope you can do those things. I hope you have people that you can share with and know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, amen? You don't need to act like you have your stuff together, but to know that you can do this with God. There's so many times I'm going through so much stuff and I'm like, why am I so ragey today? Why am I just so stressed out? Why am I acting so, so, you know, touchy about everything? And there are these moments where I've learned to turn to God and just admit, God, I'm not doing okay. God, I'm stressed out. Yeah, I'm acting like a little brat today. And it, there's this incredible thing that happens when I can just own that. It's like Paul saying, what a wretched man I am, just throwing up his hands and saying, somebody save me. And it's this incredible thing. It's like the power of heaven is unleashed. I'm not saying it solves everything, but it's the first step to just admit that you need help, to admit that you can't do it on your own and throw up your hands and say, someone save me, right? And so, so much of the 12 steps, so, you know, just going through this, talks about really being honest. It's just not hiding anything, going through a personal inventory and letting people know exactly what's been going on, then sought through prayer and meditation to improve our contact with God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Having had a spiritual experience as a result of this course of action, we try to carry this message to others, especially fellow sinners, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Do you need God, friends? Are you under the illusion that you can do this life on your own? Because you can't. I can't. Praise team, can you guys come up? Let's just take a moment, friends. You know, if there's something going on within you, I don't know what pinged for you, in this message. Maybe there's some struggle you have, a secret struggle that, honestly, you don't even want to admit to yourself, let alone to another person. I'm not going to make you do that, but can you do it in the presence of God? There is therefore now no condemnation. There's no condemnation in this place. God, I pray against a spirit of condemnation. I pray against a spirit of fear that keeps us captive to the old brain, to the old self, where where we want to fight or flee, where we're not able to, to follow your spirit. But God, we want to admit we are sinners, we are broken, we need you. None of us are perfect. And so God, we throw up our hands to heaven and we say, save us. Save us. Lord, we need you. We cannot live this life on our own. You don't have to do it that dramatically or heatedly. You can if you want. But in this moment, can you at least admit what is going on in your heart and soul? 
Do you need God? Because I sure do. I do every day. I cannot win this battle on my own. I'm not that good. My willpower isn't that strong. Lord, I need you. I need you. Save us. Deliver us. Save us again. You sent your son Jesus on the cross to die for our sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for any of us. We're all sinners. We're all stuck in the same boat. And we can bear each other's sins. But the one who bears it most is your son Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be with us. Deliver us. Save us. It may not be something that happens right away. But maybe for someone in this moment, if they were to, to, to just, you know, throw up their hands in desperation and say, I can't do this anymore. God, I believe that their load will immediately be lifted just that little bit by your spirit that says, you know what? Let me come in and help you carry that load. Let me do what you cannot do for yourself. That God is a savior. Jesus is your savior. The Holy Spirit can give you power in your life that you do not have on your own. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys are